there is straight up a Raphael Ninja Turtle plush doll creeping over my shoulder as I'm recording from the closet of some Airbnb on the southeast coast. It's always an adventure whenever you tune in to a brand new episode of People Are Wild. Yep, we're back again. And although this was actually originally supposed to be part two, it turned into a part three of an unexpectedly three-part extravaganza. And I'm so happy that you guys have given me some awesome feedback. We're still going to be talking about the Puff of Madness, but in a different context this week. So my name is Kim, just as a refresher, and I'm your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host who has severe insomnia, is seriously recording in somebody's closet right now, and has horrible taste in men. Still no word on if all three of those things are somehow connected to my lifestyle, living situation, and or choices I've made in life. But enough about me, let's get on with it. See, I have lit my Telly Savalas prayer candle, because after all, who loves you, baby? And I've listened to OMC's How Bizarre on a loop repeat for about an hour, and I'm ready if you're ready to talk about how people are wild. So this is the third part, the end of an unintentional trilogy about suspected cases of folie adieu, the madness of two, the shared delusion that two people share, oftentimes family members. But as I hinted to in the last episode, what if this shared delusion splinters? And what if that splintering seeps into sort of a five share sort of process? Actually, the last time I worried about any sort of five share, I was in an Australian hostel. And that's a different story for a different time. Let's set the scene. Take yourself back to August of 2016. Hurricane Madeline was looming off the Hawaiian coast. Louisiana was still submerged after torrential downpours had flooded the southern portion of the state. The Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro were in full swing. And why, oh why, Ryan Lochte, why did you lie? Why you always lying? Is Ryan Lochte okay? Is he coming back for 2020? Is this going to be his redemption tour? Ryan Lochte part two? How Ryan Lochte got his groove back? I don't know. I think I'm secretly a Ryan Lochte fangirl. Ugh, that's a stunning realization. But in a town in Australia in August of 2016, a family of five was about to make decisions and actions that would baffle and confuse an international audience with questions that still persist to this day. In order to tell this story in a somewhat cohesive way, it's best to establish a timeline of events. On August 30th, 2016, law enforcement knocked on the door of the family home of Mark and Jacoba Trump. That's Trump, as in T-R-O-M-P, just so that we clear the air. A married couple living just east of Melbourne, who were the owners and operators of a successful berry farm. They had three children, Ella, age 22 at the time, Mitchell, who was then 25, and their oldest child, Rihanna, who was 29 at the time, and might have fallen in love in a hopeless place. Maybe. Don't know. Also, still unknown if you can ever stand underneath her umbrella, Ella, Ella, A, A. No, never mind. This was a hardworking family where their kids all helped out with running the day-to-day operations on the farm. This was their life and their routine, working on the family farm in the family business. But when the family farm seemed to be dormant, 
it was something that was out of the norm. It had to have been a concern to their neighbors and friends as they hadn't heard from the Trump family in almost a day. And there seemed to be no movement on any part of their land. So when the police knocked on the family's door on that last Tuesday of August 2016, no one knew what they would be encountering. When no one answered, they made entry to the home, but not by force. All the doors were unlocked in the home. No signs of any forced entry were noted. Law enforcement made their way through the home with hopes of finding the family or at least some indication of where they might be. As they began to look around the house and the property, they noticed that one of the family's vehicles was gone. With the other vehicles and equipment having their respective car keys placed in the ignition or at least nearby, it seemed. They also noticed that cell phones, credit cards, passports for everyone in the family were left in the house, along with stacks and stacks of papers that seemed to be for the most part organized, but there was some disorganization noted in the kitchen area, as if someone had been searching for something super specific regarding a particular bit of paperwork. Law enforcement would later disclose that many of the piles of paperwork related to the family farm business, and more specifically, the finances of the farm. Now, if anyone can tell me some beta on Berry Farms regarding finances and how they do in a fiscal year, I would actually greatly appreciate that. Couldn't really find a good numbers breakdown on that and whether or not they made money, lost money, broke even, that sort of thing. And if anyone could understand that whole beta reference in that last sentence, I'll light my special Mountain Project prayer candle just for you. So the police have responded to the family farm and they find a vehicle missing, papers everywhere in the house, passports, credit cards, cell phones all left inside the home, and no idea where the Trump family might be located. Now, with no credit cards, they couldn't be traced by their transactions. And with no cell phones, their location would be more difficult to pinpoint in real time. They seem to have gone off the grid. And that's going to be a term that is used very heavily throughout a lot of the research you find on the Trump family and probably throughout this episode. So the sudden disappearance of this family sets off these red flags in all of these law enforcement and all of these police officers' minds. However, things were not quite hopeless as not everyone's phone was found inside the family's house. Mitchell, the only son of the family, had decided to bring his phone with him but would later recount that about 30 miles or, well, actually seeing as how this is based in the land of Oz, let's go ahead and switch over to the kilometers system here. 19 kilometers into their car ride, his parents made him ditch the phone after his father especially became convinced people would be tracking them if the phone remained with them during their ride. In fact, they told him to throw the phone out the window, which actually inevitably made me picture that Seinfeld episode where Elaine's meeting with that acclaimed Russian author who then throws out her newfangled pocket organizer that Kramer gave her and he throws it out this car window, chucks it out, just heaves it really, and ends up hitting, well, Kimmy Schmidt's Lillian in the head. There should be like some overlap episode if they're ever is another Kimmy Schmidt season, you definitely need to revisit that whole New York timeline, I think. Hit up the 90s. It was a much simpler time anyways. So this family has begun their sudden road trip off the grid. 
the day before on August 29th. Ultimately, they ended up driving all day and all night in a northern-ish direction from their family farm. As the police were responding to the family home on that next day, on that August 30th, Mitchell really had had enough of his parents' insistence about being tracked and their paranoia that seemed to be increasing. After having driven all night, like Cindy Lauper once did, Mitchell was over it. And the family stopped in the town of Bathurst to let Mitchell out before continuing on in their northern direction. Now, just for reference, number one, from the family farm to Bathurst was approximately 800 kilometers which is about 500 miles. And fun fact number two, question mark, I've actually been to Bathurst. I saw the super cheap Bathurst 1000 out that way a few years ago, which is another whole different story for a different time with a lot of decisions that actually led to a really great time. Amazing friends that I still keep in touch with, but looking back on it and maybe cover your ears, dad, I trusted a lot of kind strangers in Australia who miraculously did not decide to Wolf Creek me. Australia, you will always have a very special Vegemite-sized place in my heart for how kind everyone was and still is, and teaching me just how tasty a sausage sangha truly is. But okay, let's get back to the story. So when Mitchell leaves, I guess you can kind of say, and then there were four. Like it's some sort of Hunger Games or like Battle Royale, which is probably some odd phrasing if you're going to look back on it as to what happens later on. So Mitchell has left the family vehicle. He is going to go ahead and go home. He will find his own way home. He actually is not that far away from Sydney. It's manageable from the city he's in. There's transit he can take. He can get himself home. So the family continues on without him, two sisters and their parents, and they make their way from Bathurst and start heading north again, stopping around the Blue Mountains area in the Sydney region at the Genelin Caves, which I may or may not be saying correctly, and hold on to your butts because there are some more towns in this story that I'm definitely going to butcher. So for all you Aussies out there, feel free to, well, at me, come at me tell me how to actually say some of this stuff right. Because even when I was living and working down there, some of the town names appeared. Just the appearance looked like if somebody accidentally like sat down on a keyboard real quick and they were like, that should be a town name. And I know it's steeped in a lot more culture and history behind it, but Wadonga, like seriously, what? That's a real town, like for real. So the Blue Mountains are a pretty happening, tourist-heavy sort of spot in New South Wales, right by the Sydney area. And it's one of those things that if you go to Sydney and you have the time, usually they kind of tell you to see the Sydney Opera House, uh, Bondi Beach, which actually you can skip, spoiler alert. And then if you can and you like being outside, you can go and see the Blue Mountains. There's a lot of great hiking spots that way. There's these caves out there. It's that touristy draw. And so the Trump family stops here. And it's at this point that the sisters, Ella and Rihanna, decide they're going to separate from their parents. The behavior that their parents had been exhibiting was increasingly concerning towards them and confusing to the sisters. But while Mitchell was let off with plans to get from Bathurst to Sydney and then from Sydney down south to back to the family farm, the sisters kind of found themselves in a bit of a bind. 
they needed to approach getting themselves back down south in a different manner. So naturally, they stole a car. Not even like they accidentally got into a car thinking it was their parents. They straight up became the Australian version of GTA. Well, no, not really. They weren't armed or anything like that. But they definitely took advantage of the friendliness of Aussies and the probable unlocked car of those friendly Aussies and decided to jump at an opportunity. So the sisters are now driving south back towards their home, back towards Melbourne, when they stop in the town of Goulburn and file a police report about their parents being missing. At this point, they had lost touch and there was no way to contact them. And it seems as though their parents never quite shared the finer details or bigger picture of where they would ultimately be ending up in this sudden road trip they were taking. But shortly thereafter, the sisters themselves decided to split up. Ella wanted to go home to the farm to feed the horses. And she ended up making it back to the family farm on that Tuesday night only to be greeted at the family farm by law enforcement and police. Mitchell would arrive on the next morning, Wednesday, after having taken trains and public transportation to get back to the family farm. Now, as for Rihanna, well, she decided to get into a stranger's truck in their back seat while in Goulburn, and the driver had no clue of her presence until he felt someone kick at the back of his seat about an hour into his drive. I wonder if he was playing OMC's How Bizarre in a Loop repeat for about that hour. This would be like, to me, every single horror movie where you check that rear view one second and you don't see anything, and then like the next second, in the very next second, you check it and there's Michael Myers in the back seat before that music sting happens and you know things are about to get real. But it's not so much in this case. The driver immediately pulled over and discovered Rihanna to be completely altered in her mentation. She didn't have any recollection of who she was, how she got in his vehicle, or what events happened prior to their impromptu meet-cute. Just kidding. This isn't actually the start of a love story between the two. Although, if it did happen, wouldn't be the most far-fetched or unbelievable part of this 100% true tale. What did happen was that the driver called police, which ultimately led to Rihanna being transported to the Goldburn Hospital, where she would be assessed physically and receive a mental health evaluation as well. Now, we have to regroup sort of amongst ourselves in this timeline. We are now at Wednesday morning, August 31st. Mitchell is back on the farm with Ella, and between the two of them, they're providing information about the last known whereabouts regarding the rest of their family members to law enforcement. Rihanna is admitted to the Goldburn Hospital at this point, which leaves their parents unaccounted for at this time. Now, authorities did launch an extensive search at the caves, but were unable to find anything regarding where the parental trumps might have gone. After not really getting anywhere with spotting their parents, on Thursday, September 1st, Mitchell appeared on Australian National News in an effort to get the word out about his parents, but especially about his father Mark's state of mind. Mitchell would say, quote, he's scared that people are after him. He's not in a good state of mind, end quote. He would go on to say, quote, I've never seen anything like it. It's really hard to explain or put a word on it, but they were just fearing for their lives. And then they decided to flee, end quote. Now that afternoon, 
Jacoba Trump was located. I said Trump. I meant Trump. I'm trying really hard to to make sure that that O is emphasized. So Jacoba Trump was located after having been taken to the local hospital in the town of Yass. Sorry. Anytime you see a Y-A-S-S, I just get that involuntary response to be like John Paul Jones or, I don't know, maybe JVN? Only my dreams. And speaking of, anyone who watches Queer Eye should know and recognize and love that town because of a particular episode that they did a few seasons back as part of a bonus episode. You want to talk about your Yas Queen? Definitely check that out. Would highly recommend. So Jacoba had been found to be stumbling and wandering around the town in a highly agitated state as she was asking around to find the nearest motel. A concerned citizen took her to the hospital in town where hospital staff connected those final dots and were able to contact authorities to confirm that they had found a missing Trump. Now, up until this point in time, the last known sighting for the Trump parents had been at the caves. So how did Jacoba end up about 240 kilometers south of that location? And where was her husband, Mark? Now, don't worry. Both of those questions will sort of be answered. Kind of. When everything is said and done. Kind of. On Saturday, September 3rd, Mark Trump was located walking on the streets of Wangaretta, a town about 350 kilometers south of Yas and about 240 kilometers north of the family farm in the Melbourne region. Mark was taken in by police, given a mental health evaluation immediately, and then released into the care of his brother, which some articles actually pointed out that Mark's brother was a police officer himself. Now, at this point, media had gathered outside the station, And as Mark walked out with his brother, he gave all the photographers an Australian hello and gave them all the middle finger as they drove on by. That's not really an Australian hello. That might be a Mark Trump in an altered mental state. Australian hello. A few days later, Mark Trump did release a statement that said, quote, without reservation, I apologize for the hurt and concern caused by these events, end quote. So we have the Trump family reunited. They end up being reunited in Melbourne, and that's it. End of the episode. It's a short one. Okay, just kidding. And it's time for me to fill in some of the holes to the best of my capabilities and the best of my research without falling into too many Reddit holes and other theories. So, this is got to be one of the strangest timelines of events that ultimately culminated in the weirdest family road trip disbandment and eventual family reunion to ever grace the Australian shore. According to a lot of the reports I read, on the Tuesday night when Ella returned to the family farm and Mitchell was on his way by train and Rihanna had been admitted into the hospital, Jacoba and Mark had been driving south from the caves and 600 kilometers later, they found themselves in the town of Wangaratta. It was here, for unknown reasons, that the two went separate ways, with Mark staying in Wangaratta while Jacoba went north via public transport until she reached Yas, where she was spotted on that Thursday and admitted to the local hospital. Mark's timeline of events are a bit more hazy, but it is suspected that he was the driver of a vehicle that tailgated a couple. So when this couple stopped and pulled off to the side, the car that had been tailgating them did the same as well, 
which I would just straight up poop my pants at that point. You're already in Australia and there's a lot of stuff that will make you poop your pants, but it doesn't matter. Road rage makes anybody fearful for their life if somebody behind you also is following you and then does what this couple reported the driver behind them did. See, the driver got out of his vehicle and started running towards this couple before he stopped abruptly, stared at the couple for a bit before taking off on foot into the nearby park. Terrifying. Doesn't matter where you live, that will stop your heart, no doubt. So the police were called and searched the park, but found no trace of the man who was believed to be the driver of that vehicle, Mark Trump. His make and model of his vehicle seemed to match the descriptions of a statement from the couple that had been tailgated. Now, while they didn't come up with any sort of concrete physical evidence or even a sighting of Mark Trump in their investigation in and around the town, they did find evidence of a break-in for one of the rooms at a local motel. And it was suspected it might have been Mark Trump resting or at least doing something in that room. But it wasn't until that Saturday that he was actually finally found on the outskirts of town by the airport. So whatever he did in that meantime, between separating from Jacoba and being found, might forever be left in the drift. Now, the facts that happened after all the Trumps were found spilled out like so. Ella was initially charged with car theft, but those charges were later dropped. The owner of the stolen car decided ultimately not to go forward with pressing any charges against her, and the case was dropped. Jacoba was transported to the Goldburn Hospital to be with Rihanna as they both were evaluated and treated before being medically discharged to return back to their Melbourne area home. No further charges were filed, and the family became infamous for their bizarre trek on the Australian eastern shore. Now, in the years since, theories have flown around. You gotta love it. It's the same thing that happened with the Erickson twins. We try and figure out what's the reason for things that appear to be unbelievable, right? So some people speculated that the chemicals that were involved in maintaining that berry farm life And more specifically, this farm really specialized more in the red currant sort of berry subset. And there was a concern that they might have been either accidentally poisoned or purposefully poisoned. And somehow the chemicals led to these delusions. And and that's really as far as the explanation goes. Also, if you look at certain forums on certain websites that are eh, well, let's face it, basically Reddit. God, you lose so much time going down the unsolved mysteries on the Reddit subreddits. It's just, seriously, if you want to go down and do a deep dive, call in sick because you're going to be going down a lot of different avenues for quite some time. I'm just going to come right out and say this. I don't know what it's like to be a berry farmer. I don't know what it's like to run a berry. I know what it's like to eat berries. They're delicious. I love them. So I really don't know the inner workings of that berry farm life. And I really don't know if you get into big debts. But seeing as how this farm has been in their family for decades, I'd like to think that at the end of their fiscal year, they do okay. 
However, there were some people who theorized that maybe the Trump family had some shady dealings or even some criminal involvement with like the mob or debt collectors or even drug trafficking gone wrong. And that's why they had such a strong belief that people were after them. But again, that's kind of as far as that theory goes, because looking back on all their finances and all the ties that they had throughout the community, nobody came up as being linked to any sort of shady dealings or in any sort of black market berry trading. Is that a thing? Do you trade blackberries along with blackberries? You catch my drift? Does anybody even use a blackberry anymore? Remember when that was a big deal about cracking the codes and hacking into Blackberries and how everyone on the campaign trail was so mad that Senator Obama at the time was using his Blackberry so much and they're like, they're gonna hack it, you can't keep codes on there. And now it's just like you can pay like a 10 year old to jailbreak anybody's phone and it's a whole, it's a whole mess. I'm not saying you should just go and pay 10 year olds to do that. Am I? I don't know. What do 10 year olds do? See, I only see 10-year-olds when they've usually been really, really sick and we have to do something like poke them for blood work or start medications or they've broken something or they scratch themselves and we need to close things up or set things right in terms of their bones. Other than that, 10-year-olds, you guys are mystery. Now back to the theories about why this happened to the Trump family. There even exists some who believe that the family was involved in some sort of cult or like fundamentalist religious sect. But if you try to expand on that theory, they quickly crumble too. They don't really go anywhere, which leads to the widely accepted belief that the Trump family suffered from a folie a that trickled to one and two and three and four and five. Eh, maybe not. Just so that we can have that refresher it is the French term that refers to the madness of two, the shared delusions, which oftentimes happens between close family members. In this case, it is theorized that Mark and Jacoba fed off of each other's paranoia and delusions. Ultimately, they weren't able to prove which one might have been the primary and which one was the secondary. Not like the Erickson twins, where it was, I guess, legally brought in that one was the primary person suffering from it, while the other one was the secondary. In this case, it's theorized that they basically went in a circle between the two, one thinking that there was somebody after them and the other one saying, yes, you're right, we need to get our kids, we need to get everything, we need to get out of here now. It was Mark and Jacoba that were the ones locked into this belief and they just kept going back and forth. They wanted to get themselves and their children to safety. And while it seemed to be more prevalent between the parents, it is of note that Rihanna was later interviewed and said, quote, you do start thinking the same. You have a few things and they do build up. You can get sick in some way, end quote. She was more locked into that delusion than her other siblings, Ella and Mitchell. In fact, Ella was addressing the press shortly after the events occurred and stated, quote, It is very confusing. I still feel confused. I think our state of minds wasn't in the best place. And yeah, I can't even really... There's no one reason for it. It's bizarre. End quote. 
Now, as for Mitchell, it seemed as though he never quite bought into the delusions that his parents had regarding the family being in danger and someone being out to get them. He would go on to state later on, quote, I just had to go with the family because I wanted to see where they were going. I couldn't leave them. But yeah, it was tough to see your family like that. And I've never seen anyone like it. But the main thing is they're okay now. Everyone is safe. Everyone is well. So we can just go back to being the family again. And that's what they did and still do to this day. They still live that Australian berry farm life, working hard daily, while forever being shrouded by an everlasting thin mist of intrigue and mystery regarding one particular week in 2016. So there you have it. The end of Folie Adieu and me saying Folie Adieu. Hopefully. I bid adieu to Folie Adieu. I mean, at least for now. Doing research for this, it's left me with more questions than answers, so I can only imagine what everybody else who listens to this is also trying to figure out. And I knew about the Erickson twins for quite some time. That happened in 2008, so that was before I really got into what I was doing in terms of healthcare. But I remember watching the documentary and definitely having my interest peaked in it and wanting to do more research about it. And obviously creating, I guess, a medical-based podcast has allowed me to do that. And it's left me feeling slightly unnerved by just how powerful one's brain can be regarding how you perceive reality and how a person that you love, you trust, your significant other, your family member, your sibling, somebody you grew up with your whole life or you have created such an incredible bond with can share in that mindset and it's so out of touch with reality. And it's just incredible to me just how much we perceive our reality and how quickly it can change when we're put under stressors. And that's not just with regards to this shared madness, this puff of madness. It's just in general, I think it makes me look at just how much a stress point in my life can lay a seed in my mind. And if I don't figure out how to address it in a healthy, constructive manner, it can definitely lead towards my mind going down multiple different avenues. I'm not saying that every time I get stressed, I'm going to start to hallucinate. But I am saying that in a lot of places, when you talk about folia do, and you look at the cases that are documented, there has been a gradual buildup of some sort of stressors, some sort of life events that is going on between these two people who are closely related. And it's just amazing to me just how much our stress responses are not just physical, but also mental, spiritual, the whole entire thing. And to me, it just really harps in that stress can do so much to your body. It can do so much to your mental state. And it's so important to recognize it in our lives and really have some sort of way that is healthy for us to manage it. Now, just real quick, I wanted to do a You Got What Stuck Where, kind of reintroduce it, 
but I actually came across a video of a mountain biker from my home state of Arizona who wiped out on a trail into a legit patch of cacti and she stands up and turns to her pal who's actually wearing the GoPro that captures the whole entire event and you see these big old chunks of cactus sticking out of her chest. It is gnarly. She is clearly like adrenaline rush because she is somewhat calm and like, uh, are these really, is this really happening? It is the trippiest video that I saw over the summer, especially because it is from my home state and I do kind of know the trail that she was on. I will just put this out there. I don't know if this is a hot take. I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion, but I don't like mountain biking. Okay. I've done it like probably about five times and every single time I have disliked it even more than the last. It is not my sport. It is not something that I think of when I go, you know what sounds fun? Throwing myself on a bike down a hill into dirt by cactus and really small ledges. That doesn't get my blood pumping. My heart valves get my blood pumping. Sorry, I had to. But I'm going to actually do a link to that video. It's it's not necessarily painful to watch the actual crash because she is okay. I, I mean, just general disclaimer, she she is okay. But it is kind of a doozy when she does that turnaround and you see it just sticking out of her chest. Just, hello, it's, it's there. It's like cactus. It's like that scene in Homeward Bound when the porcupine like shoots at a chance and it's like, oh, they're there. Yep, that's that is definitely stuck in in there. So if you ever want to reach out to me, you can always email me peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. As of right now, as of this recording, I only have one place on social media that you can find and follow me. It's on Twitter and it's at peoplearewild. You can also find me, I think, all across podcast listening apps. Tell me if I'm not on one. Please tell me. I will do my best to make sure that I figure out how to rectify that. And as always, please remember to believe in the good, practice random acts of kindness, and the next episode, since it is October, I guess that means I should do something a little bit mm, spooky. And with that in your brain, I'll see you next time.